Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here and welcome to another episode of New Jersey is the world. I feel so lucky to be hosting this celebration of New Jersey's history, culture, food, weirdness, beauty, and people, and all the other things we talk about here on New Jersey is the world. Hey, I wanted to give you a heads up. If you've been considering joining the New Jersey is the World Patreon, now is a great time to do so. Over at patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. We put up an episode last week. People are flipping out for it over there. We recorded this episode a while back and it was just kind of a comedy of errors, some strangeness, the idea. Mike D came up with it. It was it was high concept. Nick had a splitting headache. He later said he probably should have gone to the hospital. I was off my game. I had had a really long day. It involves AI. It gets out of control. People are loving it over there. Just some of the comments in the Patreon on this thing. People are saying, best episode ever. Cynthia said, I laughed so uncontrollably, my eyes literally watered. Andrew said, I was laughing so hard I couldn't see as I was driving. I had to turn the volume down to keep from driving off the road. No exaggeration. Rick from Bergenfield said, good Lord, that was art. I was dying the whole ride up to work today. It's hard to pick a favorite part of this. Karen says, I haven't laughed this hard in years. Melissa says, I am sitting at work sewing and crying while trying not to scream laugh. Thank you. Martha says, listen to this with my almost five-year-old in the car. He loved it. Maris says, absolutely hilarious classic ep. So if you want to know what everybody's talking about, it's an episode over there. It's uh, titled AI Co-Host Disaster 5000. So sign up today if you want to go listen to that one. It's a really hilarious episode. It was just a little too weird for the main feed, but the patrons are loving it. And thanks to everybody who has signed up at patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. This week's episode, I continue the, uh, the series that I've been doing from time to time where I have conversations about Newark, New Jersey with people who know and love and understand Newark. As you might know, I grew up very near Newark in one of its suburbs, West Orange, and I grew up during a time culturally when Newark was very stigmatized. As I've gotten older, I've realized that this is a very strange and, and uncomfortable and negative thing. And I want to do my part to try to understand New Jersey's largest city way more than I did growing up. When we all heard these things, it's the stolen car capital, there's no real reason to go there. These, these are the things you, you heard. And those days, I don't think were ever true. And they're certainly done now. And I am very fascinated by the idea of figuring out more about New Jersey's largest city and how it connects to the suburbs, and how those areas connect to the rural areas, and what this state is, and what this crown jewel of a city we have really means, and how its heart really beats. Very, very excited for you to hear this episode. I'm talking today to Maria Lopez Nunez, who's the Deputy Director of Organizing and Advocacy for the Ironbound Community Corporation. You can visit them at ironboundcc.org. You can follow them on social. Maria lays out some of the different socials that you should absolutely follow uh, in the course of the episode. I did not know much about the idea of environmental justice or environmental racism. 
and I followed their environmental justice Instagram and I started seeing that they do cool stuff. The history of the Ironbound Community Corporation stretches back many decades um, as, you know, rallying people in the Ironbound to help stop things like new incinerators from being put right in the neighborhood where a lot of young people live. Um, there are super fun sites that are part of the Ironbound. Ironbound CC helps keep an eye on those and helps try to make sure that these things are mitigated and done correctly. It ties right into the culture of this very fascinating neighborhood in this very fascinating city. And I think you're going to agree with one thing for sure, which is that Maria Lopez Nunez is a badass and is not messing around. She's cool as hell. I found myself nervous, and I've interviewed a lot of people. I don't get nervous that often. I have fun with these things, and I had fun with this one, but I also realized this is a person who has thought long and hard about any question I might be able to think of, has probably already seen the answer or possible solutions from many different angles, and is just badass and cool and drops some knowledge in this one that stopped me in my tracks, further made me think about my own ignorance of New Jersey's largest city, made me immediately motivated to think about how I can help, how I can be a part of things, how the area of the state I live in connects to Newark and what people like me can do to help people like Maria who are keeping an eye on things in Newark. It's, she's great, she's great. Really incredibly cool. I feel luck lucky I was able to speak with her. I feel flattered that she took the time for our podcast. And I feel so motivated to figure out ways to be more involved in the health of my state and the communities that I'm connected to. Enjoy this one, everybody. Hi, everybody. It's Chris Gethard here. And I'm very psyched today to be able to pick the brain of Maria Lopez Nunez. I have done a, but we've done, you know, this podcast, we do a lot of comedy stuff. We interview business owners. We'll do Jersey food reviews, all the culture of Jersey. But if you've been listening a while, you know, I'm very, very fascinated by the city of Newark. And people here, I think, know my background. If you've been listening for a while, I grew up in West Orange. My father went to high school in Newark. Three of my grandparents lived in Newark. One of them immigrated to Newark. And yet I was raised as part of a generation that was told, don't connect with Newark. You're a suburban kid and we got out. And a lot of it goes back to 1967, as anyone who knows the history of New Jersey knows. And we've talked with people on the show before about the impact on, you know, the spiritual impact on Newark, the financial impact on Newark, issues with housing regarding Newark. And I'm very, very fascinated to talk to you. Maria, because I've come to follow your organization on Instagram, and you do a lot of work specifically regarding the environmental impact on Newark. And this is something I think a lot of people don't realize is happening from the outside. So I want to hear about how you got into this and how I can help spread word on this, because it's, it's really it's fascinating. There's a lot of stuff happening that's just wrong. And you're one of the people drawing a line in the sand and trying to stop it. So I applaud you for it. And I want to hear 
every everything about it and how you got into this. Yeah, for sure. Um, look, I yeah, I'm excited to be with anyone that loves Newark because I adore Newark. And, you know, I, I'll say I'm not a Newark native, right? Like I was adopted by Newark. I actually grew up in Bushwick before gentrification, you know, so I like to say like three bedroom apartment for $450 Bushwick, <laughs> right? Like that's a different, it's a whole different world. Um, and I'm afraid, right, of what Newark, like Newark also is fighting that spiritual, physical fight of not becoming like so many cities that have become gentrified. So that's how I kind of ended up in Newark. It's because the Ironbound in particular reminded me of that pre-gentrification um, Bushwick, right? It just felt like home. I grew up around a lot of factories next to a textile factory, actually, where, you know, all this blue powder stuff would come out. I didn't know, like, breathing it in, it was ruining my lungs, right? And my, it was, like, scarring my lungs. Now I struggle with asthma and respiratory issues, as does everyone in my family. So with Newark, with the Ironbound in particular, I remember taking a job at ICC. I was attracted by their community garden, actually. Um, and someone saying, like, calling that smell. I was like, calling that smell? Why? That's, like, how cities smell, right? Like, I think we all know that. It's kind of like a putrid smell, but you're used to it. They're like, no, that's probably one of the factories um, doing their admissions. And I realized, oh, that's not normal. And we should be paying more attention to it. And we don't. Um, so after that, I, I, I think I was hooked of like the intersection of what is a racial justice fight, an economic fight and the environment, like how these things are not separate. You know, that's one thing about environmental justice is that it feels like home for me because I don't have to pick. I could fight gentrification. I could fight to better our neighborhood and also keep that like racial and class perspective on it, right? So I'll back up a little bit here and just share like the, you know, I do this thing called toxic tours. <laughs> People actually come in from across the country and honestly across the world to look at the pollution in Newark just because people don't imagine this is what America looks like, right? That in America, on the shadow of a beautiful, you know, New York City, there would be a place like Newark. But I try to remind people for New York City to exist, we need to have Newark, right? So in the Ironbound, four square miles, we have three power plants. We have the state's largest garbage incinerator, the state largest sewage waste treatment facility. We are surrounded by what is the longest Superfund site in the country, um, the Passaic River. And that's because during the Vietnam War, Ironbound was actually the number one producer of Agent Orange, right? Where we were like bombing people in Vietnam, we were producing it in the Ironbound. And there was this byproduct dioxin that we were just dumping into the river and letting it go all across the um, city. So a lot of places in Newark are contaminated uh, beyond remediation. So that means we have to just pour concrete and keep it moving. So I'll leave it there just in terms of context. We're subject to some of the worst air pollution in the state. It seems to me, like you mentioned, in the shadow of New York City. I mean, you could get on the path train from Newark, be in the city, I mean, or go from Newark Penn Station, be there in minutes. In the other direction, you know, 10, 15 minutes from a place like Short Hills, one of the most expensive zip codes in the country. You know, Milburn High School, one of the top-ranked public schools in the country. That's probably a 10-minute drive from the border of Newark. You go up South Orange Ave. It does feel to me, like, in in... In just following just the social media of the work you've done and the ICC, which you mentioned the ICC, which we should talk more about the Ironbound Community Corporation, um, which environmental justice is just one of the pieces of the puzzle there, but, but a really fascinating one. It does seem to me like there's so many aspects, whether it's New York City 
being the more touristy place, the suburbs getting wealthy fast just outside of Newark. It seems to me like there is a, a basic attitude here that I think people would be shocked how how pervasive it is of you could almost say it's like stick it in Newark. <laughs> like we need to yeah. generate power to have a power grid for all those people. Stick that in Newark. We need to have factories to build and process things for those people. Stick that factory in Newark. We need to process garbage. We need to dump things somewhere. Stick it in Newark. It almost seems like, and I'm sure you must know about this. There has to be some level to which there is actual policy in place that allows it to be, let's sacrifice Newark for all yep. these other areas to not have to deal with it. And we'll just ask all the people in Newark to deal with it, which then of course brings in the idea that people in Newark look a certain way, that they are in certain tax brackets. And you effectively realize, oh, we're just sticking a, a giant city full of people of lower income and people of minority status with all the problems of the surrounding area and just trying to ignore it. It's, it's yeah, wild. Absolutely. No, it's pretty wild. I mean, when people in Short Hills turn on the, their lights, right? They go electric. They feel good about it. They don't think about where that electricity is coming from. You know, they take their garbage bins to their curve and they don't think about it again. You know, and I, I love to say like people don't think about what happens next when they flush their toilet, dump their trash. But we in Newark, especially in the Ironbound, we live with what happens next. You know, we we actually live with people's waste with what happens when the people in Short Hills flush their toilet. It comes and it makes all all the way down <laughs> to the Passaic Valley Sewage Commission. Right. That's right. Our neighbor in the Ironbound. You could walk to it from my office, from my house. You can walk to the sewage treatment facility. And the problem with all these facilities is they're not treating the waste or the garbage of our city. They're actually treating the waste and the garbage of the region. So in the incinerator, 50% of that trash comes from New York City and it services 30 municipalities. So when you're thinking about that, it's like, you know, I, I know there's a joke in New Jersey about how New Jersey smells um, when you go on the turnpike. And I don't take kindly to that. <laughs> I remember a few years ago, the incinerator was burning pink. Like it was actually just pink smoke coming out. And it got the attention of CBS News. But the reason it got the attention is because they were worried about the people stuck in traffic on the turnpike. And I was like pissed, right? Because I'm like, okay, we live here 24-7. <laughs> and today you can see it because they burned iodine that they shouldn't have burned, right? But they burn it, it turns pink, and people are like, for the first time seeing it, and they're just worried about the commuter in their car and not the whole community of 55,000 people that actually live in the shadow, right? Um, that have to work, commute, and play. So like, kids will be at the garden, and they have to go home because it stinks so bad. Um, so I, I always think about that, when I, especially when I think about Shore Hills and the life that people live. People can live that nice, clean life because they are externalizing, right? They're putting that cost onto someone else. And in this case, it's a place like Newark that's mostly black and brown, that's mostly low income. And so we call it the sacrifice zone. You need sacrifice zones for that luxury lifestyle that Americans want to live or that we sell on TV. And so until we start dealing with what our lifestyle costs and who do we make pay for it? Because unfortunately, it's not like Newark's doing this and we're rich. You know, I like to say Newark is a rich city, but we're stolen from because we get pennies on the dollar for the use of the port. Like that's where Amazon does all its trucking, right? All its packages come through the port. Um, 
or their use of the waste treatment facility or the incinerator or the power that we generate. Newark's not actually getting paid from any of that, but other people are living their lavish lifestyles from it. Even just hearing that with Amazon, right away, I feel like anyone listening, no matter where you live, I can immediately go, and, and on some level, it's an environmental issue because that whole fleet of trucks is burning gas, is putting all its emissions into the air. But even right there, you go, think about whatever neighborhood you live in and how loud that Amazon truck is and how it blocks traffic and how it annoys you when it's on the streets. And now think of even just that. I go, I haven't thought about this before this moment, but I go, now imagine all those trucks in your neighborhood at the same time. Just how, just how annoying it might be. Even before you get <laughs> yeah. into the fact that you're breathing all those exhaust fumes, that just sounds annoying. It sounds like the infrastructure is annoying to live around. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even the, so one thing, I think another thing people don't think about is the airport. Every three minutes, a plane flies over our neighborhood. So like when we're outside hanging out with the kids, we have this thing like you know, we fly, we make a plane flying sound and we do wait because we can't hear each other talking. I remember the mayor coming to do a press conference by our elementary school because we had installed air monitors and he couldn't talk. He couldn't give a speech. He was like stunned, I guess, because he doesn't typically have to give speeches in the Ironbound, right? At, like he couldn't get a word out because <laughs> the planes kept flying over because every three minutes a plane lands in Newark. I tell you, I could like set my clock by the international planes that fly in in the middle of the night because <laughs> they shake my building up. Um, and so people don't think about Newark, right? Even when you land in Newark airport, they tell you you landed in New York City airport, even though yeah. it's in New Jersey. Um So I, I have to say you might have passed by Newark. You didn't hang out in Newark for sure, but you... Newark is the place that connects to everywhere else. So if you're leaving New York or going to New York, you're probably going to pass through our beautiful city. It is. It, it's my relationship with the airport. It's become a very strange one because I fly a ton because I'm a comedian by trade. So I fly a ton and do shows. Usually, you know, I have these serious discussions on the podcast. I go make jokes <laughs> on the weekend. But it's it's funny. Another comedian friend of mine, he grew up in Newark. And he was telling me how where he grew up, a lot of the people in his neighborhood had this real resentment of, of the gateway of the idea that commuters who work in or can come in and never even have to actually step foot in the city. You can come in via public transportation, get to your office and leave. And it's a similar thing with the airport of it's putting strain and stress on a city. And sure, you know, the argument is job creation, but it's also built in a way where not only do people leave and not have to think about the fact that they're using the city's facility, the state's facility, we don't even say it. We, we we say it's a New York area airport and it, it it there are so many ways in which we just willfully ignore our largest city. And I know that I'm not contributing much to the conversation, but I just want to say it's fucked up. It's <laughs> fucked up. I don't care how many jobs you create. We got to, first of all, I wonder what the statistics are and how many of the airport jobs are going to residents of Newark because I'm sure there's people tracking that and I'm sure it could be well, a lot it's also better. low income jobs, right? Like right. the minimum wage jobs. Like we had to fight to for fifteen at the airport. So it wasn't like the um let's not brag. Right. And you know, even with job creation, I'm like, okay, don't you need those employees? Like it's not like you're doing a charity. You're not doing something out of the goodness of your heart. You need employees to run a business, right? I think this idea of job creation, we're giving too much credit to businesses. They right. need those people. How are they gonna operate? You're not gonna have the CEO you know, handing people coffee at the airport. You're going to have someone do that, right? Right. You're not creating something that you don't need. It's a mutual benefit. And one thing I will say, because 
we recently passed the strongest environmental justice law in the country, which was super exciting, right? For like us to even be a part of that as a neighborhood-based organization. Because I tell people now, we hang out in one hood. We're not even like for the whole city. A lot of the work we do impacts the whole city, but we, you know, we're ironbound. Um, so to be able to pass a, uh, a law that's actually the strongest in the country was super exciting. Awesome. People are pretty shocked though what that law does. All it does is give the state the power to say no more. <laughs> that's it. They they have to actually consider what is around. I always like to say like a third grader could do it. They could go to a corner in the ironbound and be like smokestack, smokestack, poison factory, or you know they call it the shit factory. That's what they call the sewage treatment facility. The kids. And they'd be like, should you have another factory? And they'd be like, no, right? A kid could tell you that's not a good idea, but the state couldn't do that. They had to be like, oh no, is this factory as an individual factory gonna do its best? You know, it, it was not like contextualized. So now the state has the power to say no. And unfortunately that's a first for the country. But when we passed that, one thing that was shocking to me is this pushback of like, well, what about the jobs? And I'm like, well, cities like Newark have been held hostage by this economic argument forever. That's why we ended up like this, because people don't want to put good investments in our city. You know, like they extort us. They're like, if you're going to get a job, you have to pay for it with asthma for your children, you know, with respiratory issues for your grandmother. And you're probably going to die younger. But don't worry, you're going to get this middle uh, not even middle income, this minimum um, wage job in exchange for it. And you're good. I'm like, that's not the deal we offer other people in other communities. We actually want real investment in their communities. When you break it down like that, that's a real bum deal. Okay. <laughs> I so, right? I, we can get you $15 an hour, but you're going to get asthma and we're going to fly a plane right over your head every three minutes nonstop. Like, yeah, uh, it doesn't sound like a winning equation. You want to get paid more for that, I would say. <laughs> and now you work you know, through the ICC and... One thing that's been made clear to me, and I wonder your opinion on it, obviously you're a resident of the Ironbound. You're fighting hard for the Ironbound, and I love when things start with the grassroots, but I will tell you, I w in one of the previous interviews I had in this, in this series that I've done about the city, one person really set me straight because I, I talked about, oh, my grandparents are from the Ironbound and used to go down there for food sometimes. And it was made clear to me, like, just so you know, the Ironbound is the traditionally Portuguese, your more European section of the city. Like, and it does make me realize the Ironbound, I think, and again, my knowledge of Nork is limited due to a lifetime of being told, why would you go there? Everything fell apart in the 60s. The Ironbound, Forest Hill, outsiders know these are the areas where it's viewed as a little safer where maybe it's viewed as a little more stable in a lot of ways. So for you to start, for you to be able to list off the top of your head, all the things that are in the Ironbound or walking distance to the Ironbound, when it's been made clear to me, there's other areas of the city that view the Ironbound as maybe the more handled with kid gloves neighborhood in general. I go, oh, what's what's going on all over the city then? If that's just in the Ironbound, then you can list all those things. Well, yeah, first off, all of Newark's an environmental justice community, but the Ironbound is definitely where the toxic concentration is, and that's because of the proximity to the river. So I'll backtrack here a little bit of Newark history. The thing with the Ironbound is that it was the white neighborhood even after the 60s because it used to be the poor white neighborhood. Right. So when you had, you know, your millionaire's mansion, uh, 
mansions up up the hill where you have Forest Hill and white people used to live there. They used to be the more affluent white people. And then we were the working class people in the Iron Belt. So that did persist after the 60s for some time, because when there was white flight in our city, the folks, uh, the white immigrants of the Ironbound, they didn't leave right away. But I'll tell you right now that, you know, and I'm sure people have their own thoughts about it, but there's not as much Portuguese presence. There is in terms of businesses, but in terms of tenants, it's a mostly elderly Portuguese people who still own their homes, right? Like the Ironbound, like the city is 78% renters. Another thing about us is, we're mostly, we have a large undocumented population in the Iron Bow now, right? So there's a lot of crime stats, like people that don't even go to report to the police what's going on because they ha they're afraid of something else. During the uh, previous presidential administration, we had a lot of difficulty with raids in the neighborhood, right? Like that made it so people were not reporting crime. Um, and I would say that a lot of people only know the Iron Bow for those like first five blocks of Ferry Street. They don't actually keep going. They don't go to our public housing, to the other sides of the neighborhood that look, I think, more how people think about Newark, right? <laughs> it's uh, mostly people of color. It's mostly Latinx, people from Ecuador, from Brazil. Um, and actually, because of the previous Portuguese population, it's why we have such a high Brazilian population, right? Because they, they share that colonial language of Portuguese. So... Yes, it is different than the rest of the city, but I would like to say, like, I don't know, city politics often put towards against each other and um, people against each other. I, uh, if you move beyond those five restaurant blocks, you'll see that the Iron Bound is more like Newark than <laughs> I think people give it credit for. And again, like, unfortunately, most people are not aware of the industrial legacy and then the health problems that that produces in children. It's really, that's really fascinating. I've been set straight yet again. Get your, it is, it's true. I will tell you, even now when I go to Newark, Ferry Street, Prudential Center, these yeah. are the reasons I go. And then from there. That's five blocks. That's not the iron <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's not the whole thing. I'm wondering, um, you know, one thing that people will think, and this is a guilty thought that a lot of listeners will probably have, right? There'll probably be people going, okay. Thinking about when Essex County flushes their toilets, it all gets funneled mm -hmm. into North. You go, <laughs> yeah. so I hope people think about that. You hear it in a simple way and you go, now you got to think about it. You can't, now you can't forget about that Cedar Grove and Fairfield and Livingston. Like that's all. Think and of I, us. <laughs> I grew up in West Orange. Like we flush our toilets. It shows up in North. There are people who are going to have a guilty thought, which is, well, it has to go somewhere and it's already there. So what do we do really? So I'm wondering, um, when it comes to solutions, what are the brainstorms? Are there technologies that exist that could go, you know, if we invest money, it doesn't have to be this way. And it, cause here's the thing that I'm sure you have to think about a lot more than I do is there's probably a lot of people with good intentions who would love to donate to this, who go, I want to fix this. And I also want to make sure it doesn't that, that awful phrase, I don't want to make sure it doesn't wind up in my backyard instead. So, it's also sucks that we have to ask people like you to brainstorm the solutions for everyone else. But I wonder what those brainstorms happening in your field of activism are. Yeah, no, for sure. And I appreciate you, Chris, for even having that thought, right? Because let's be, like, be honest, right? Yeah, let's be honest. 
Exactly. And I appreciate you saying like it shouldn't be our responsibility because <laughs> so often it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, yo, literally not my job. I'm just yeah. trying to make sure more kids don't die because of asthma attacks in our neighborhood. Right. Because um, even with the trucks, right, when you breathe it in, it stays in your body forever. So let's say a kid makes it like we make it out of Newark. Like, I don't know, there's that myth, right? I don't want to make it out of Newark. I just want Newark to be better. Um, but if you leave our city and you live somewhere with green trees and everything, your lungs are affected forever from having grown up in our beautiful city. So I want to change that. So no matter what you decide to do with your life, <laughs> you don't have scars from where you grew up. Um, so, yeah, what can people do? I mean, we have to have a real conversation of, like, if this is the lifestyle we all want, we're going to have to share in the burden. It can't just be concentrated. You know, you can't just keep exporting it out so that you don't have to look at it. And I think that that's actually why we have the lifestyles we do, because no one has to deal with the consequences. They just Amazon their life away, you know, 10 different packages at their door, and then they put it on the curve. If they have to see that shit pile up, if they have to breathe it in when they actually don't recycle it. They actually just burn it and you have to breathe that in and you felt your lungs burning at night. You might be like, hmm, I want to live differently. <laughs> this is not worth the price, you know? So that's one just straightforward option. Let's all share in the responsibility of the problems we create. Because I tell you, low-income people are not the ones generating most of the pollution, right? And so I'll repeat that again. It's not Newark that is responsible for all this trash and this waste. It's actually richer affluent areas, but we pay in the concentration. Um, so if everyone had to deal with the amount that they produce, I tell you, they'd want to produce a lot less. Two, it's just like pay the city more. Our city's getting ripped off right now. Like I want to see better contracts. Um, I don't understand why we don't, ex you know, factor in the cost of human health. That, that shouldn't be like an invisible externality. We need to visibilize it and say, yeah, for there to be, um, you know, your electricity to just flip on, that caused X amount of people, their lung capacity or neurological issues, pregnancy issues, right? That's why you see all these health issues in our community. It's because the tie between environmental racism in this country and health outcomes, it's like really strong. If, um, if you're a person of color, especially in New Jersey, the higher the concentration of people of color in the neighborhood, the higher the concentration of pollution. And that was a map that was done by our, our own Department of Environmental Protection. It's what we use to pass the environmental justice law. So I don't know, talking about it helps, but obviously I think people need to clean up their own shit, <laughs> take care of your own stuff, right? Not have, keep exporting it out to somewhere where you don't have to think about it again. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, my wife is a really fierce environmentalist. We live out in Morris County. Like we live out in the woods now. And mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you, my conversation with you is very sobering because she is someone who's like, don't get lazy. Separate the recycling for real. Like we got one trash for compost. We're dropping off all the food scraps at a compost. Oh, that's great. Compost go in great. There. But I hear that, right? I hear exactly, you know, just hearing what you're saying going if Pete, like on a very simple level, if people in the surrounding area would pay attention to their trash and use all the things available that are actual resources like composting, like actually separating your own recycling, right there, you probably go, oh, you don't just send it rolling down a hill and it eventually lands in Newark somewhere for a kid to have to deal with. It, yeah. And it'll eventually come back to everybody, right? It's coming back to everybody in the form of climate change. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, climate change will unite all of us. But I tell you, in the Ironbound, we flood often. 
right? Like we often have to get rescued out of our cars. People think, oh, we need a big hurricane. I'm like, no, nah, we need 10 minutes of rain because Newark deals with too much. So the water yeah. just backs up. And the water that's backing up is like sewage water that, that then the kids are like wading through to go to school. Like it sounds mad dramatic and it's happening in Newark today, 2023. Um, and it's not because it's a major national disaster. It's just because it rained today and we didn't build things right. So I, another thing I try to remind people is like, you don't have to like go buy a tote bag. I'm not telling you like to clean up your life, but like go to a city council meeting, get politically involved. Cause actually that's where the greatest change will come is if we get pressure on the politicians and say like, yo, I might be in Morris County, but I care about what happens in Newark. Can you fix that? Can you pay them more, <laughs> pay them their fair share? Cause the, the state does use Newark as a dumping ground. And one thing we've been able to do, it's been amazing the support from other people that don't live in Newark, but come out to our hearings and let like everybody know that they're watching too and have our backs. I think that that collectivity has been making a huge difference. We just fought back a sludge plant that was headed towards our neighborhood. And we're in the process of fighting for a fourth against a fourth power plant that the sewage treatment facility wants to make so that they're more prepared for climate change. It's like, it sounds crazy when you put it out there. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Something that I bet you've thought very hard about, especially coming from Bushwick, which as you said in the beginning, I mean, like you go to Bushwick now and it's like people who look like me eating at Roberta's. And 25 years ago when I started hanging out in the city doing comedy, mm-hmm. we were not going to Bushwick, you know? Um, there was just an article in the Star Ledger, actually written by a guy we've interviewed on the show, friend of the show, Jeremy Schneider. He's a food and culture writer at the Ledger. I thought it was a really great article, and it was looking at the Ironbound and its food culture mm-hmm. while interviewing a lot of restaurant owners about how there seems to be gentrification starting to stick in Newark, and that every few years you you hear this, right, of like, oh, Newark's, Newark's starting to change, it's starting to move in Newark, and you, and you hear about this, and it seems like it's real at least in the ironbound the past few years people are starting to say oh, it feels like there's some condo towers going up and you get yeah, this sense it that it's, <laughs> it's not going to be people moving from one block over to the condo tower it's going to be suburbanites moving in and living in the condos i'm wondering there's got to be so many layered opinions on this because a it's going to put more strain on the neighborhood b in a sad way is it going to be infuriating when that becomes a thing that the people in the luxury towers go, we don't want the sludge plants and it becomes a much easier fight because all of a sudden those people are having it. I have to imagine you have (laughs) hard to describe opinions on this. Oh, absolutely. And I've thought about it entirely too much, but like it happened in Hoboken, right? Hoboken used to be like, uh, they used to have a lot of peers and industrial industrial waterfront. And then what happened? It got gentrified. They were like, no. Um, and they, they were like, no. And it started cleaning up. Now you have a park along the water. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, you know, Ironbound, fought, Ironbound Community Corporation, our organization, we fought for that, for the Riverfront Park, right, to connect residents back to the river. But immediately we've been seeing the, like, the, the, the bad um, influence that that's had in terms of, of pricing on um, – 
the condos right near the river and the upzoning, right? Like people don't get involved in zoning. It's a nerdy thing, but it's not like you should go to zoning board meetings. It's where decisions are made about what goes up in your neighborhood. And as a resident, we have a right to be like, nah, I don't want that. And yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared that we made the neighborhood better after 53 years, we're 53 years old, of fighting, the neighborhood has improved in terms of um, environmental justice, but that someone else will benefit. And then in that case, it's not environmental justice because the people that got you know displaced, they're gonna be in another bad situation, probably like Perth Amboy, right? Like <laughs> we're just gonna roll that problem. Again, we keep pushing it to where, and let's be real about this, where white affluent people can't see it. And if that white affluent people move to the neighborhood, then the governor is going to be like, yeah, no, we can't put that sludge plant there. That's a part of the inequality. And that's why we try to visibilize that connection between race and class, because the things do change with different people moving to the neighborhood. That's I saw it in Bushwick. You know, those factories aren't there. Those factories got replaced with luxury condos. Um, and I'm afraid that will happen in Ironbound. And to a large extent, it's already been happening. Undocumented families who have to be like four families in a an apartment to be able to afford the rent like that's not right and you know that's why we push for things like rent control and affordable housing um and i worry that the pressure is just too much because people want newark to be better but i you know i i keep it be better for who <laughs> it has to be better for the people that have lived here and the people that stayed during the rebellion and after the rebellion they just invested in the city and kept believing in newark to come on the other side they should be the ones that benefit it is so much in New Jersey comes down to real estate, right? It's real estate developers get to call so many shots. And as you're speaking, I'm going, there's another thing I never would have thought about, which is up until very recently, if you lived near that river, that's probably not a great thing because the river is very polluted with the remnants of Agent Orange. And then you come in and you go, we now build a park that connects it. And real estate developers go, we can build this as waterfront property waterfront property they search for that on zillow that now all of a sudden that comes up as an asset and what what a nasty backlash of a thing what a nasty backlash of a thing yeah i give kudos to the mayor in that sense he's trying to like help newarkers be able to buy houses in newark because a lot of it is speculation right so we look at a lot of cities um especially after you know after the a lot of upheaval that have empty lots, empty buildings, that's a speculative realtor sitting on that property. It's not that the people who live there let it decline. It's just like a real real estate company is holding that. They bought it mad cheap when things were problematic and they're just holding it and they can hold it forever because they're rich. They don't need that money. They can just sit on their money. (laughs) And so they hold it until the moment is right and then they flip it and put luxury housing on there, right? And then you say, oh, they improved it, but they were the ones that kept it artificially depressed for so long until they decided the time was right. And so again, we need to look at the corporate influence on both the environment and our housing situation because they're intimately connected. That's true. If if you're holding a property and it's sitting vacant, you can claim, and you can claim that when it flips, it's an improvement. But also, you know who would have improved it is a family who was living there, who would have then therefore who sent been, their kids to school, who would have been like advocating at the school, going to parent advisory board meetings. You get me? Like families make neighborhoods. You see what's going up in the Ironbound right now in that five square block, right? Like in that little hot area. <laughs> I have like a line in the sand where I'm like, yeah, we probably won't win these zoning fights. <laughs> um, 
but we'll try. You know, we're gonna try no matter what. But we, I, I know for me, like we, it's David and Goliath, right? <laughs> when we win, it's kind of a miracle. But we have that area. Um, all they're putting up is studios and one bedrooms. And yeah. these people are sick. Even at zoning board meetings, they'll be like, "Yeah, we're gonna attract that New York City crowd, that suitcase crowd." Like they're not trying to actually invest in neighborhoods. So I also think it'll all fall. You know, it's a pyramid scheme that's all gonna fall apart. Right. It's. Uh, it used to be if you couldn't afford Brooklyn, head to Jersey City, and then it was certain neighborhoods in Jersey City, and now there's people living in Jersey City Heights. And now if you get priced out of the Heights, maybe you wind up in Harrison. I was in Harrison the other day. I used to take the Harrison Path Station when I was a kid. Haven't been there in years. And went through. there was a guy doing a comedy show. Was a great comedian, Colin Armstrong. Great kid. Does it at the Vanguard. Support the show, everybody. But I was like, they're doing a comedy show in Harrison. I went to Harrison. I go, this is a genuinely different place than when I used to take the Path Train from here in high school and college. It's an absolutely different town. There's all the trees are wrapped in Christmas lights now and there's condos everywhere. And it seems like Ironbound is the next one they're aiming at, but that's it's a strategic the last stop. It's the last stop of the path. <laughs> and it's a, uh, it's a strategic move by real estate people. And it does make me feel for the people who've been putting up with nonsense for decades who are now going to be told, well, it's improved. And part of the improvement is you don't have a place here anymore. Yeah. It's not right. You know, for a while, a while we kept hearing like, oh, you can't concentrate poverty. And I'm like, you shouldn't concentrate wealth either. You know, yeah. like a good neighborhood's an integrated neighborhood, like low income people, middle income and upper income because everybody helps each other out. Right. Like everybody plays um, is able to have it's just a different social fabric and a diversity that people enjoy. That's why they enjoy the Ironbound, because you did have some small business owners who were good in comparison to Newark, but they still lived in the neighborhood. So they cared what happened in the neighborhood. When you have a lot of people that just don't live here, they just come in, make their money, or they just have a bed, like Harrison's a bedroom community. People yeah. go to New York City for work during the day. They probably socialize there. And yeah, the Harrison nightlife's kind of picking up, but it's not, you don't go there for the culture of Harrison, you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, and I'm I'm afraid of that happens to Newark. It's happening in cities across the country, and nobody's been able to figure it out. So cities are losing their soul, and they're just becoming corporate entities. And then what happens when the corporations pull out? Like we're seeing in New York, where you know Barnes and Noble destroyed so many mom and pop bookstores, for instance, or Starbucks. But then they decide, eh, it's not that much money. We're going to close up shop. Then we end up with all these vacant lots and back on the merry-go-round. I say, you know, take your cities back, take your neighborhood back, participate. I think you're cool as shit. That's my, I feel like you got every answer I want to hear and you've thought about it and it's not policy. It doesn't sound like you're reading a textbook. It's here's what's going on when you walk a few blocks. Here's the things I see. What you're doing is so cool. I do have to just ask, so you didn't grow up in North. How do you, how do you wind up? How do you wind up uh, dedicating so much of your life to getting in the trenches for this city, for this neighborhood? What's the bullet point? different. You know, like Newark uh, is not different than what happened in Bushwick. Right. In New York. Right. You know, like, I I get it. People are proud of where they're from. But I'm an immigrant, right? Like, I, and I and I more like a refugee. The U.S. went and bombed my country, got rid of the people we wanted to have in power through coups, right? Like that's what happens in Latin America. I also want to recognize that. People don't always immigrate, immigrate 
whatever um for the american dream like it's really there's no other choice like again this externalizing for us to have this lifestyle here someone paid the price like we went and bombed another country to get our oil or to get our resources and then over here we just don't think about it you know um and so yes i came to this country after our country became a unlivable political situation and i kind of feel like it's all connected you know and you have to have solidarity you have to build wherever you are so if that's in morris county if that's in newark if that's in jersey city wherever you are you have to be involved and you have to care you can't just go around life thinking oh i'm gonna do one or two things because that's convenient to me you actually have to join in in political activity and that means going to city council meetings zoning board like seeing what people are doing not just having an opinion because you watch cnn you know like actually get up off your butt and get to the meetings and then you can have a real opinion and often you can make the biggest difference because our elected officials are not used to people paying attention. I do have to say too, if you read about the history of Newark, you don't have to read too much to realize what are, you know, one, one of the things that's always plagued the city is, is uh, if it wasn't true, it would almost be darkly comical after a certain point of political corruption of, mm -hmm you know, mayors getting arrested shortly after they're out of office and, you know, entire slates of town of city council people being corrupt. And it, like, it's, it's almost a comedy of errors. And uh, you can, you don't have to connect too many dots, I'm sure, to see that the types of things you're battling against now there's probably some people who had their pockets lined along the way to allow this to happen. <laughs> and more people than just Newark. Cause I think oh, of course the people in Newark get caught probably cause they're black and brown, right? <laughs> so they get <laughs> investigated, but white collar crimes is really a disease in this country. And so uh, we need to just look alive. <laughs> you know, I tell that to my team all the time. It's look alive people um, and pay attention. Cause when we pay a little bit of attention, I'm telling you the results are huge. Uh, just to get everyday people to pay a little bit more attention and not just get the talking points from the TV because they're selling you something too. Like, go look around for yourself and make your own conclusions. Yeah. And I'll also say too, and this is something that I've had to do as an adult, even I'll tell you, and this will, this will, uh, I think this will make you laugh. It will also make you shake your head. My, I did a show, a great show. There was the Brick City Comedy Review. Justin Williams runs it. Uh, Kilkenny's I think was the name of the bar it's upstairs and it was great and I went I, I drove down I got down there early I texted my father I said because he had always uh, you know he drove me by when I was a kid my grandfather's house was on uh, South 14th Street uh, mm -hmm. right across from a USPS truck yard now and I texted my dad I said do you remember I remember it was 14th Street do you remember the address of Pa's house he's like why I go well I'm in Newark and I was thinking of just driving by and seeing his house and my dad sent me the address and he just wrote, hey, be careful, man. And I was like, and my dad's not a closed-minded guy. My dad has a lot of love for Nor. He went to Essex Catholic. Like he has a lot of love, but that's the immediate instinct. And I could say so many of us were raised by that. And I can also say one of the first things I want to encourage the people in my position to do, if you live in this state outside of Newark, don't let your only time in Newark just be the airport anymore. Go eat at restaurants even if it's a start simple, go to a devil's game, go to a Seton Hall game and then hang out and eat at a local restaurant afterwards, go to Nasto's, get some ice cream afterwards. And this is not um, an effort to me to say, go, oh, go gentrify it. It is to say one of the very first things we can all start doing 
go to the city, spend some of your money there, and realize that it is not that different than when, you, you know, a lot of people are paying tolls to go drive to Brooklyn for neighborhoods that look exactly the same as a lot of neighborhoods in Newark. And you could just be spending your money here on this side of the river instead. And that's a good start to just go realize Newark is not, you know, we all grew up hearing the words, the stolen car capital of the world. Like, let's get that out of our heads. And first things first, go walk around, spend a little money, eat some food that's amazing because that's always the quickest way to get people to go to a place and then realize there's people here and there's a connection here. And uh, I've, I've said it a million times and it's not the most original thought, but it feels to me like the rebellion happened in 1967 and a lot of the bridges went up physically and they went back down physically, but mentally they still haven't kind of gone back down. We have not reconnected North to the rest of the area in a way that makes sense. Yeah. I'll encourage the other people like me who are cheesy white suburban people whose grandparents or parents lived in Newark for a while. Go back. That's the first thing we can do. Go back. Go on a date night there. Spend some <laughs> money there. Realize that it's not the boogeyman we were led to believe when we grew up. Yeah. I still think that. No, absolutely. And just support the organizations and the work in Newark, right? Like there's so much amazing nation leading work that happens in our city that's going to like help everyone in the end. Because if you do help those that have been the most impacted, you actually help everybody. So, you know, when we improve things in Newark, it really has great ripple effects for the whole garden state. Until Newark is a garden, <laughs> we won't be the garden state. I love that. And I want to start by saying ironboundcc.org. Everybody should check out what the Ironbound Community Corporation is up to. And it's not just environmental justice. Like right on the front page, it's listing all the services you guys offer from community gardens, uh, adult education, domestic violence help, family services. There's, there's all sorts of things. Are there any other, any other organizations you're working closely with in Newark that you want to give a shout out to that I should know about personally that our listeners might like to, even if it's just following on a following on social, just to see the good people who are doing good work. Yeah, for sure. And definitely follow us at Ironbound Justice, Ironbound Environmental Justice. Um, Cause we have a separate site for all the advocacy work, which is ironboundjustice.org. And then our close partner in the city is the South Ford Environmental Alliance, right? That's with Kim Gaddy. And recognizing that the East Ford and the South Ford are actually intimately connected through this legacy of uh, pollution. I work, obviously, I love POP, People's Organization for Progress. We do a lot of work on uh, police brutality with them. Um, I like the ACLU. They're had it in. They're based in Newark, which I appreciate. Um, we interviewed course, uh, Amal Senya from uh, from the ACLU. He has come yeah. on the show before, and he had a real fire in his gut when I brought up Newark. He really, <laughs> he really. No, exactly. You know, and it shows like people from around the city could still really care about. You know, it's the capital of. It should be the capital of New Jersey uh, because it's the biggest city, right? And wherever Newark goes. Um, the world will follow. I really believe that. So I, I love our city and I love all the people who work in it. I'm blown away. I'm so glad you took the time. I feel like a very, I feel like part of the problem. I feel like a cheesy white suburban kid who grew up. 10 nah, minutes nah, away. Come just, as long as you join us, you're, you're doing your part. Just I'm join trying. Us. I'm trying. <laughs> now that I'm old and in my forties, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my part by spreading word on stuff. But, uh, I appreciate you. I, I only bring that up in self-deprecating fashion to say that there's right. New Jersey's viewed as a suburban state. 
not necessarily. We've got great cities. It's not just Newark, Patterson, mm-hmm. Camden, Trenton, Plainfield, all these cities that we need to reconnect our suburbs to. And like you, that quote, holy shit, that quote, until Newark is a garden, we're not the garden state. I'm sitting there and going, that, that, that is an attainable goal on some level. And, and I, hope, I hope our listeners figure out ways to help rally and support. And I thank you for not just taking the time today, but for dedicating so much of your life uh, to the things you dedicate it to because it yeah. makes me feel And if I could good. just make one plug for people to watch The Sacrifice Zone. So if you go to thesacrificezone.org, it's a movie on the work we do. And from what I've read up on the movie, I haven't seen it yet. A lot of it focuses on the work you do. I feel like you're being modest. That movie's description <laughs> basically says it's looking at, 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 at what you do. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. I think it's so cool. And yeah, I no, but we so do everything in community. Have you. you know, I know movies of have Of course, you can't say it, but I can say it. You're a badass. You're a badass. I appreciate you. <laughs> Things don't get done without people like you. I can, within, I'll tell you too, before our listeners, like uh, the program I used to um, record was giving us problems and I had to restart my computer. And I'll tell you, I hadn't even been able to hear you because the mic wasn't working. It was one of the things that I need to fix. And I was going... I don't want to waste. I don't want to waste Maria's time because I could tell just f- from looking through the screen, like this person's a badass. What should we do? I'm trying to waste her time. Me being an idiot, my stupid nah. computer needing a restart. Oh my god! Now, now you're making me blush. So thank you, thank you so much for having me. I look forward, you know, to supporting. Of course, I I love your podcast, and I'm honored to be on it. And please do any if there's ever anything you got to promise me. If there's ever anything that's just like, hey, there's something happening and we need people there to be loud and help cause a ruckus and get attention, please let me know a few weeks ahead of time and we'll plug it on the podcast and see if we can get our listeners to come out because people will be ready to go. I'll definitely let y'all know. There's always a good fight to be had. We'll all drive in from the woods of Morris County and like that, like when the elves showed up to help in in the two towers. What a dumb wordy (laughs) reference. Anyway, okay. This has been great. I thank you for everything. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Kopp, and Mike D. New Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World, where New Jersey is the World. 